Thank you for tuning in to Avant Life's weekly podcast. We hope this message inspires you, stirs your faith, and leaves you blessed. Well, good morning, everybody. Excited to be here. Can you believe it's September, which is the unofficial start of autumn? And I know that because pumpkin spice lattes are flowing everywhere. And uh, I hope you like autumn. Autumn is my favorite time of the year. And I'm so excited. I don't know if, like, I just, like, Pastor Ben's little intro there is, like, it's getting me excited for all that God is doing in and through our church. Like, I feel like I just got the best seat ever because I got to come in right as we were getting ready to launch all this stuff. And I'm like, this is the best seat in the house. God is so good. You know, I love this vision that God has given our pastors, Arise in Advance, And, you know, anytime we talk about vision in the church, like sometimes we can get a little precious and we can think like this is the vision for our church. But really, anytime we talk about vision, it's not our vision. It's not even our pastor's vision. It's Jesus' vision for his church. What we're doing with like a a phrase, like a rise in advance, is we're trying to give context for what it looks like for us as Avant Life Church in this season, in this time, to work out the vision and mission of Jesus that he has for us in the places that he's called us. But it's all his vision. And I'm really excited over the next few weeks as we look ahead to some exciting days to dig into this together. We've spent a lot of time talking about this vision. We'll talk more about it even beyond these next three weeks, but it's an appropriate time for us to lean in together. You know, I think this idea of a rise in advance, it just sounds like something that God would call us as his people to do. I don't know about you, but like the last year and a half has been a little bit exhausting. It's been a little bit unpredictable. It's been tough. And maybe you have a tendency to say, I don't know if I want to arise in advance. I kind of want to cower and retreat. Like maybe that's how you feel right now. But wouldn't it be just like God to call his people to say, don't cower, don't retreat. Don't just sit around and, and lick your wounds and just wait for the world to change. Why don't you step up? Why don't you arise? Why don't you step out into what I have for you? But here's the thing I was thinking about. I was thinking about this, that there's a potential danger I see that I think can creep into our minds when we hear a phrase or a vision like this. Because if we're not careful, we can hear a phrase like arise and advance and place it only in a category of big and grand moments of courage and boldness. Like when I hear that, that phrase, arise and advance, I'm thinking like William Wallace in uh, Braveheart, right? I'm thinking like, like, like heroes. I'm thinking about like, we're all stepping up. We're all screaming. We're painting our face and all of this stuff. And the, the danger is this, is when we place the outworking of God's vision into a category of just big and grand moments, many of us, maybe even subconsciously, we disqualify ourselves from being part of it. We think something like that is more of a personality trait that I don't have. We think, I'm not really the arise and advance type. That's maybe not for me. That might be for that person. So I'll just follow their lead. I'll tag along with what they're doing. Maybe we think, oh, the arising and advancing is probably for the pastors to do. And so we'll just see where this goes and uh, tag along as we can. Now, listen, there are moments along the way of following Jesus into any great vision that require boldness and courage Moments where we have to step far outside of our comfort zone, where we have to lay down our preferences, where it takes sacrifice, 
But I'd like to suggest that it's not only that, or it's not always that. In fact, a vision is often accomplished through simple, small, often unseen acts of obedience and faith. Collective steps that we take together towards what God is calling us to do. It's not just something that's reserved for paid staff and pastors, but it's something that every one of us are invited into and to, invited to experience. So this is a really important time for us to talk about this because, again, not only are we in September, but September is that time of year, right? No matter how old you are, it's a time that you reset it's a time that you reestablish habits and priorities. Like you may have been like out of school for decades, but you still get to September and you're like, oh, it's time to get back into the swing of things. It's time to get my routine back in order. We're reestablishing those priorities. But as it's been said, we're also just a few weeks away from launching our campuses in Squamish and in Surrey. Like we're about to be, we are, but we're about to launch and be one church in three locations spanning three cities in our province. That's a rise in advance kind of stuff. Like, it's, it's a lot to go from one campus to two. We just said, let's skip it and go one to three. Like, let's, let's stretch. But here's the question. And this is the question I think we're going to spend the next few weeks talking about is, how do we get there together? And when I say there, I don't just mean, how are we going to get to launch day on September 26th? Because launch day is fun, and launch day is exciting, and it's a moment to celebrate. But launch day is kind of like a wedding, it's a big day that you plan for, but then the marriage happens after the wedding. All the real work happens as we move along. Going from one to three locations is amazing, but opening the doors is not the goal. So how are we as a church family together now spanning three communities? How are we not going to just get to launch day in this vision, but far beyond launch day? How are we together going to establish three healthy and growing, vibrant congregations that are seeing heaven come to earth in Squamish and in Surrey and across the North Shore? This question will frame our discussion for the next few weeks together. And as Pastor Ben said, we won't cover everything that this question entails, not even close. But we are going to focus on a few practical things that we can all do, no matter who we are, no matter if you've, this is your very first time at Avant Life Church or you've been here since the beginning, we can all do, we can all participate in these things and lean into all that God is doing so that we move not just to launch day, but far beyond it as we follow Jesus into his mission. And so today I want to talk about one of the ways that we get there, one of the ways that we're going to arise in advance in this season together, and it's this, it's through every person contributing. Every person contributing. Uh, one of my old pastors used to have this saying that he used a lot. He would say this to our church. He says, we're saved to serve, not to sit. We're saved to serve, not to sit. What he means by this is that the, the moment you and I say yes to Jesus, we are invited then into his mission on planet earth. And his mission is not about you. And it's not about me. We're not saved just to tag along and sit in church and have our needs met. Because the full life of Jesus, for each of us, it's found as we begin to contribute what we have towards his mission in the world. And if we're going to live out this vision together of arise and advance, it's going to take every person, not just some 
not just the interns, not just the paid staff. It's going to take every person finding a place to contribute to the vision through serving. And so here's the goal that we have in this season. This is like our big goal that we want to see. It's this. We want to see every person in our church active, serving, and contributing through their gifts and talents in a way that brings life to them and to our church and ultimately gives glory to Jesus. That's what we want to see. And so what I want to do is I want to take us to a really familiar story for many of us found in the Gospels. I think this story illustrates for us the invitation that Jesus makes to not just be a consumer of something, to not just sit on the outskirts and see what others get to experience, but to step into what Jesus is doing all around us. We're going to read a story of one of the miracles, and and this is a unique story in that it's one of the few that all four gospel writers take time to record. And as we read it and as we'll make some comments about it, I want to ask some questions of the text I want to ask, like, like, what do we come to see about Jesus through this story? Where do we find ourselves then in this miracle? And what does it say to us as a church as we step into this next season together? So if you have your Bibles, you can grab it, grab them and open to John chapter 6. And we'll read verses 1 to, verses 1 to 14 together. It says this, sometime after this, Jesus crossed the far sea of the Sea of far short of the Sea of Galilee, that is the Sea of Tiberias, and a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick. Then Jesus went up to the mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover was near. When Jesus looked up and saw the great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, it would take more than half a year's wage to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. He said, here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? Verse 10, Jesus said, have the people sit down. There's plenty of grass in that place, and they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they'd all eaten enough, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with pieces of the... So they gathered them and filled the 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left and those by... Over those who had eaten. Reading is hard sometimes, guys. (laughs) After the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. I love this story. Many of you have read this before, have heard it at some point in your life. And I want to make just a few simple observations from this story and then call us all to make a response to what Jesus is saying. The first observation I want to make is this, is that Jesus is all about people. Jesus is all about people. It says in verse 5 that Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming towards him. That, that's not a really unusual, sort of an obvious statement that the author makes. But in some of the other accounts of this story, the gospel writers make an added observation. It says that Jesus saw the crowds and had compassion on them which is something we see consistent in the life of Jesus. 
But when Jesus sees this crowd, he doesn't just think about what the crowd can do for him. Have you ever thought about that? Like Jesus isn't interested in what they can do for him. He's not thinking about the bragging rights he's now going to have over the other rabbis in the area. Right? Like, guys, did you see the crowd that I got? 5,000 men. I didn't even count the women and children. There were so many. He's not thinking about bragging rights. He's not thinking about how this is going to be really good for his brand or his popularity. Like, he doesn't have his PR team, like, ready to tell the story of all the people that followed him out there. He's not considering whether helping this crowd is convenient for him right now. When he sees the crowd, he sees their need. And when he sees their need, he meets their need. See, he knew this crowd had come a long way, hopefully to hear him speak and maybe experience some miracles. That was the word about Jesus that was spreading. But he also knew these people were hungry. There was a really practical need being met. And so he leans over to one of his disciples and he asks him, he says, hey, Philip, where are we going to get bread to feed all these people? Can you imagine Philip in that moment? It's like, um, you didn't prepare for this? Like, this is your job, Jesus. But in asking this question and opening up this dialogue, we see something of the heart of Jesus. Jesus, our teacher, is all about people. And Jesus, as we see the pattern of his life, made his entire life about serving others. In fact, he says this of himself. He says, the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And it's so tempting when we talk about vision, when we talk about serving, when we talk about contributing to something, to actually make it all about us. Sure, we would never use that language, but if we peel back the layers a little bit and our hearts are exposed, we tend to find ourselves at the center of our motivation to serve. We serve others when what's being asked of us is comfortable. It's not going to cost me too much. We serve when there's a clear benefit that we get at the end of the day. Sure, we'll contribute if it's not too inconvenient. It doesn't cost me too much. I'll serve, I'll give, I'll be part when I think it'll make me look good if I do so. It's crazy how our motives can get all twisted, isn't it? That even something that looks great on the outside is actually all about us. But as we follow Jesus, our motivation the passion we have and why we serve has to change. It can't be about us anymore. It can't be about what you and I get out of it. If we're following Jesus long enough, we'll eventually see the motivation of our contribution change. Where it's not because it's comfortable for me and it's not because I like those people and it's not because I get something out of it. It's not about me anymore. It's about the people Jesus loves and the needs that he wants to meet through their life. That's my motivation. It's like, Jesus, you love people, and you're changing me to love people more. See, in this case, the need Jesus was meeting was hunger. But we know that Jesus is always wanting to meet the deepest needs of the human heart. Yeah, Jesus loves to meet that physical need, but what he wants to meet is our spiritual hunger. You know that every person you walk by, every person on your street has a spiritual hunger, something they're looking for, something they're trying to fill. They might not have language for it yet, but Jesus wants to satisfy that hunger in their heart. 
Jesus is all about people. So you might ask, like, why are we stretching as a church? Why are we taking steps of faith? Why are we planting new campuses out of COVID? Like, what are we thinking? And listen, it's not to build a brand and it's not to make our name great. We're going because we have a conviction that Jesus loves the people of these communities. Jesus loves the people of Squamish. He loves the people that live on the North Shore. He loves the people of Surrey. And he wants to meet their immediate needs, but more than that, he wants to meet the deepest needs of their heart. He wants to satisfy their spiritual hunger. We're going, we're stretching because Jesus loves people. And so do we. Because Jesus is all about people, we will always be a church that is all about people. And the longer we follow him, the more in love with people we should become as we become more like Jesus. So our vision as a church and, and our individual contribution to that vision is always and will always be about the people Jesus loves. Jesus loves people. Second observation. Jesus doesn't need us to do a miracle, but he invites us to be part of a miracle. I absolutely love how Jesus plays out this scenario. Jesus is hilarious if you pay attention. After he asked Philip where they're going to buy enough bread to feed all these people, the text says that he asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Don't you love that? When someone's just like a step ahead of you and just sort of plays you? This is what Jesus is doing. He's like, I know what I'm going to do, but I'm just going to ask some questions. I'm going to see the response here. And everything that takes place from Jesus recognizing the need of the crowd to seeing the miracle take place was all about Jesus getting his disciples in on what he was doing, letting them be a part of the miracle that he wanted to perform. Like he lets them panic a little bit as they try to figure out how they might meet the need on their own. Uh, Jesus, like Philip's doing the math. He's like, uh, okay, half a year's wage, everyone gets a bite. Like, how are we going to do that? And other, other gospel accounts are like, it's a long ways to walk. It's going to cost a lot. They're trying to figure it out on their own. And Jesus sort of just lets them squirm for a minute. But then he says, okay, guys, I got a job for you. I want you to organize everybody. Just have them sit in groups. It's not very hard, right? Can you count? Just sit down and count and make them sit down for a minute. But then he has them, his disciples, distribute the miracle. Jesus blesses this food and all of a sudden it's being multiplied and and now this miracle is being passed through their hands. And at the end he says, now go collect the spoils of all of this. Go collect all the extra. Jesus knew what he was going to do and Jesus knew how he was going to do it. He didn't need their help but he wanted to invite his disciples to play a part in what he was doing. See, this story, as I said, is recorded in all four gospels. The other gospel writers note that Jesus was teaching the crowd for some time, but none of them care to mention much of what he actually said in that teaching. And I wonder, like, what if Jesus was just teaching a filler sermon? What if he was just taking time, just saying stuff? Because what if the whole point of this whole thing was to get the crowd hungry enough so that his disciples could be part of a miracle? Jesus is more than capable of doing all he wants to do in the universe without us. Like, we're not that important. He's been running the universe for a long time. 
but he has chosen to invite people like you and me to be part of what he's doing. Honestly, I, I don't think I would have set it up that way if I were Jesus. I'd find a far more efficient way of getting things done in the world. I wouldn't be asking messed up people that have all kinds of weird motives and messed up priorities to come along with what I'm doing. I wouldn't be like letting them fumble along with my plan. But this is how Jesus loves to operate. He doesn't need us, but he chooses to invite us into what he's doing all around us. Jesus doesn't need you and I to do a miracle in Squamish. He can do it on his own. He doesn't need Avant Life Church on the North Shore. He doesn't need another church in Surrey to advance his own kingdom in the world, but he wants us. He was making space for you and I to contribute to what he's doing. And it's probably honestly like a dad who invites a young kid to like help him fix something. It's more work than it's worth, but he loves to do it. He's a good father and he invites you and I not just to watch him do what he does, that would be kind enough if he did. But he says, no, I want to invite you into what I'm doing. I want you to contribute to what I'm doing. And this truth should be the most liberating and exciting truth ever. It's a liberating truth because it's a reminder to us that it's not all on our shoulders. Have you ever felt like God's plan is on you? Like if you just work hard enough and do all the right things and say all the right things and, and, and push hard enough that it'll, it'll happen, this is a reminder that God doesn't actually need you. He's more than capable in his own strength. But it's also exciting because it means that our contribution actually matters. He said, I've got a role for you to play. I've got something for you to contribute. Jesus set this whole thing up for his disciples. He set this whole thing up so they could be part of a miracle. And I wonder, what is he setting up for you and for me? What is he setting up for us to be a part of in Squamish? What is he setting up for us in this next season on the North Shore? What is he setting up for us in Surrey together? Jesus doesn't need us, but he invites us to be part of the miracle with him. Here's the third observation I see. When we place what we have in Jesus' hands, he turns it into a miracle. When we place what we have into his hands, it turns into a miracle. Of all four accounts of this story, this is the only gospel that mentions this little boy. I don't know if you picked that up. As the, 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 the disciples are panicking, trying to sort out, like, how are we supposed to feed these people? Jesus, what are you asking us to do? Andrew comes forward with this unnamed boy, and he says, well, he has five small barley loaves and two small fish. Like, it makes that, that, that note. It's not, it, they're small, Jesus. And it's so funny because Andrew, he like, he almost gets it, right? Like, he has this moment of like kind of faith and he's stepping out and then immediately he just tries to discredit it. But uh, that's stupid. Have you ever said that? You're like, I've got an idea, but that's probably dumb. It doesn't make any sense. And that's what he does. He says, Jesus, here's this kid's lunch that he packed. But that, what am I saying? That's so silly. I'm always struck by the thought of this boy. I don't know if Andrew just stole his lunch or how this all happened. That would be really funny if that was true. How I've often thought about this story until right now. I think about this boy and I think, what made him offer his lunch? Sometimes I think, who packed his lunch? Who sent him that way? 
What was going through his head when he decided that he was going to try to be part of the solution here? Did he actually think his contribution would make even a small dent in the need that was at hand? I don't know what went through his head, but something compelled him to make a contribution. Something compelled him to offer what was in his hand, as insignificant as it would have felt in that moment. And when he placed the little bit that was in his hands into the hands of Jesus, Jesus turned it into a miracle. See, I think this boy was smart enough to know that he didn't have enough to meet the need. Like he, I don't think he was naive, but he wasn't fixated on what he did not have to offer, but he was compelled to offer what he did have. I don't even think he had the, any comprehension that a miracle was about to take place. I think he just wanted to be helpful. I think he just wanted to try to be part of the solution. I'm sure he thought things like, I'm not qualified to meet the need of my own, but I am qualified to offer what I have. I can't feed these people, but I can offer what I do have. He was just generous with the thing that was in his hand. You know, many of us, we never offer what we have because we're more aware of what we don't have than what we are, than what we do have. We think to ourselves like, I don't have those gifts. I can't contribute in that way. I don't preach, so I'll just sit. I can't sing, so I'll just exist here. I can't play music. I can't do those things. I can't lead those teams. Can I just say that I think we tend to overemphasize in our minds the gifts that are used on a stage. And that's not to say that these gifts are unimportant, but it's only a part of who we are and what we do as a church. And sometimes we think that this is the pinnacle, that preaching is the pinnacle, or worship leading like Colin is the pinnacle. And these guys are great. And they're, but what they're doing is they're just using their gifts what God has put in their hand. But it's not the only thing that we do. So what if instead of seeing the things that you don't have to offer, you started to recognize what you do have to offer? You might say, I can't sing, but I can help load in and load out. And I can make sure that an excellent and compelling environment is set up for people to meet Jesus. I can offer that. You might say, like, I might not be able to preach, but I can greet people at the door and I can make sure that no person comes to my campus and is missed or is forgotten and doesn't feel the love of Jesus expressed through his church. You might say, I might not have that gift, but I'm organized and I can help take care of systems that care for people. Like, I can contribute my gift that way. I might not be great at this, but I can, off, I, I can serve our kids and I can come alongside moms and dads to make sure that we're making disciples of our young people. We're not just babysitting. Like, I can use what I have. See, when all of us recognize what we have and place that in the hands of Jesus, a miracle can take place through our offering. And it doesn't have to be grand and it doesn't have to look a certain way and it doesn't have to look like someone else and it doesn't even have to be your favorite thing to do. You just need to have a desire to contribute, a desire to be helpful. And Jesus can do a whole lot with that when we all do that together. Look at what he did with one little contribution. What could he do with a church now that spans three cities when all of us say, I don't know if I have as much as that person or whatever. I'm just going to give what I do have and say, Jesus, use it. There's one more thought that I... I have when I think about this story. I was reading it this week and I thought, I wonder how many other people that were, were there that had something to contribute but thought to themselves, someone else will do it. 
someone else will do it. Like, there's no way that this boy was the only one that packed a lunch. Somebody else had something to contribute. But from what we can see and what history has said is that he was the only one that offered what he had to Jesus. I think how many people missed out on being part of the miracle because they thought someone else would do it. Someone else will step up. Someone else will contribute. Worship team, you can get ready to join me. Listen, I don't want any person in our church missing out on what Jesus is going to do in this next season. I think that would be tragic. There's a massive need. I mean, we've stretched and we've created space and we followed Jesus and taking steps of faith. And we're going to see miracles happen because that's what Jesus does. Jesus loves the the people in Squamish and Jesus loves the people in the North Shore and Jesus loves the people in Surrey. So we believe that he's going to show up to meet the need. We're going to see lives changed. We're going to see people saved. We're going to see families restored and communities transformed. And we want every person who's part of our church to be part of that miracle. And not just because we're in proximity to it, not just because we fill a seat every once in a while, but because we've contributed to it. Because you've played a part. You've taken a spot. You've said, I'm going to give what I have. What do you have in your hand? Let me remind you of the goal that we stated at the beginning. This is our goal in this season. Our goal is that every person in our church would be active, serving, and contributing through their gifts and talents in a way that brings life to them and our church and ultimately gives glory to Jesus. Every person. Every person active, not just sitting. Every person serving, not just letting others serve you. Every person contributing, nobody just consuming. That's what's required in this season. And in every season, it's not about us. It's about the people that Jesus loves. He doesn't need us, but he invites us to be part of what he's doing. And when we give Jesus what's in our hand, even if it feels insignificant, he can turn it into a miracle. So what do you have in your hand? Don't wait for someone else to do it. Like say yes and step into it. Don't just come and consume. Don't worry about what you do not have. Decide to be a contributor. Offer Jesus what you have and become part of the miracle that he's going to work in and through our church in this season. So here's how. I want to get really practical for a minute. If you're new to Avant Life Church, you're checking us out and there's something in your heart saying, hey, I want to be part of this fill out that connect and engage card that Pastor Ben was talking about. Fill it out today. That's, that's a, an easy first step. It's just a tool where we can connect you to the right places so you can start to find your fit and start becoming a contributor right away. We don't have like a huge long thing. We've got a few steps that so you know what's going on. You know the right people, all that stuff. But you can get working. You can get serving. You can get contributing right away. If you live in Surrey or Squamish, There's a pre-launch meeting coming up this Thursday. You can show up. 
and say, I'm going to be part of it. I'm not going to wait for this thing to get off the ground. I'm not going to wait for it all to be ready for me. I'm going to come and I'm going to create a space for somebody else. I'm going to come and contribute what I have in this season. You can do that. If you're part of the North Shore, some of you need to begin contributing again. Like you've had a year and a half where it's like, and maybe just through like, like really practical reasons, you've been on the sidelines and now it's time to re-engage. You've been really comfortable just watching online or letting other people do the work. And you're saying, ah, I'm not sure. I'm just going to take my time today. Like you're waiting for someone like, I, I'm waiting for a sign. This is your sign. Start contributing again. If you served on a team before, get on a team again. Like don't just sit. Don't just wait for someone else to do it. Say yes today and start contributing again. But maybe you're here and you live on the North Shore and, and you're trying to figure out what are my next steps. You can come to Journey Sessions next Monday night. This is your step. You're going to hear about the vision. You're going to meet the right people. You're going to know how you can engage, discover your gifts, and start contributing in what God is doing here in the North Shore. Don't wait for someone else to do it. God has given us a great vision. There's a great opportunity in front of us as a church, and it's going to require all of us, every person contributing every person pulling. And when we do that, Jesus is going to show up and we're going to see miracles happen. And here's the thing, on the other side of this step, on the other side of your contribution is not just an exciting time, though we're going to have an exciting time. It's lives changed. It's cities transformed. That's what we believe. That's what we're a part of. On the other side of your yes to say, I'm not just going to consume, I'm going to contribute. I, like those people in your life that you desperately want to know Jesus, there's going to be an opportunity for them. And maybe if it's not in your life, it's going to be, you're going to be the answer to somebody else's prayer. This is what Jesus is doing. It's time for us as a church. We're not going to sit back and wait. We're not going to retreat. It's time to arise and advance. And it means every person contributing. So take your step. Don't wait for someone else to do it. Don't worry about what you don't have. Just bring what you do have. We've got a spot for you in all that God is doing. Listen, ultimately, this is all about Jesus. When we talk about serving or contributing, it's all about Jesus. It's all about his kingdom, and it's all an act of worship. It's all unto him first. It's not about unto Avant Life Church or Pastor Ben, it's, it's unto Jesus. So we're going to pray in a minute, but in response, we're going to worship. But as we worship Jesus through singing, I want us to ask him to identify the ways he's asking you to step out and worship through our contribution to this church family and all that God is doing in and through our church. So Jesus, we thank you. We thank you for the great vision and mission that's before us. We thank you that you've called us to stretch in this season. You've called us to take steps of faith in this season. You've called us to create new space in this season. And Jesus, we know and believe that miracles are going to happen, that lives are going to be transformed, that cities will be changed. And I pray for everyone watching this today. I pray that we would be asking the question of ourselves, Jesus, what would you have me do? How do I contribute? How do I get involved? How do I give and offer you what I have in my hand, not so that I can get something out of it, not just so I feel better about myself, but so that my life can be an offering to you. God, I pray that no one in our church would miss out on being part of the miracles that are going to happen in this season because we thought someone else would do it or we just thought about what we didn't have. 
God, I pray that we would step out in faith and say, Jesus, here's what I have. Can you do something with it? And I pray that as we do that, that we would see miracles happen in us and through us as a church. And not just so that we can celebrate ourselves, but so that Jesus would be lifted high in every city that you've planted us. That the kingdom of God would advance. That your kingdom would come in these places as it is in heaven. Let's worship together. We hope you enjoyed this message. We would love you to subscribe to our weekly podcast. Other ways you can connect with Avant Life is through YouTube, Instagram, and Facebook. Or check out our website at avantlifechurch.com.